pretty to be sure, on this side. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is a podcasting first in that we both happened to go to concerts at the same venue this week, but like a few days apart. Oh, who did you see at the Danforth? I, I saw Matthew Good on uh, on Tuesday. I saw Matthew Good at the Danforth this like time 19... last year. No, really? This okay. almost almost a year to the to the day I was uh, I was at that show and it was a damn good show it's it's crazy like I, I hadn't thought about him since probably 1999 yeah but yet as he was singing along I'm like I know a lot of the words to a lot of these songs devil's still on roller skates my friend <laughs> um, down at the radio the, shack the uh, I was dinosaur yeah, this, it's, it's, dinosaur jr was great it was really great um, but they weirdly mixed the microphones at this show down okay which I realized may have been by choice Huh. Uh, Dinosaur Jr. The lyrics and the singing, yeah, not that important. Right. Like they they could have actually just rested their vocal cords. Could they and just just like, just play like and Oz kind just of thing? Just play because while? it like <laughs> like in the nineties, um, they're not so much songs, yeah, but walls of sound that come at you. Oh boy, welcome, welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil, Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 173 of the Matinee Cast. It's a movie-loving podcast on my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. The voice you are hearing already off the top of the show probably needs no introduction. He, uh, as of this show, is one of the few five-time guests on this show. Ooh, I get a smoking jacket. <laughs> yes, I get like do, the Saturday do. Night Live. Exactly, exactly. And... Um, that's just full-on episodes, too. Like, you've done so many guest appearances. You're probably up around 10, all told, uh, you know, if you if you were to factor in all those little guest spots now and then. And, and it's always a good time to have them. Um, most of these movies I've had you talk about so far, you've been kind of middling on. They've been like, eh, it's okay, but this and this and this and this. And today, when I offered you the chance to talk about this movie, you were like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that movie, uh, even though it's been quite some time since you've seen it. Um, so, of course, we are excited to have one of the voices from the Row 3 Cinecast on the show, a writer you can find at Twitch. Kurt Halfbeard has made the jump from 905. How are you, man? I'm good. Um, screen Anarchy now. Screen uh, Anarchy. Has been. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and me coming on your show, always a treat. Always a pleasure. Uh, and you often tag team with me when I'm out and about. I'm the substitute um, you. That's right. Which is that's really right. weird because our sensibilities are so very different. Like we can both talk, but but our approach to, to, to film, I feel like, you know, if, if you were to put the, the Venn diagram of what overlaps for us, there's not that much overlap. There's a nice right. there's a nice section. Yeah, even less with your wife, by the way. Oh, she's pretty... like, I can touch. <laughs> like, yeah. It's a major high five if we're like really- I, I'm bored. Um, Really, really on, on, on board. I know uh, I was sitting beside her when we saw La La Land at TIFF, right? Yeah. And she came out pretty excited. I'm like, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is, this She's cool typical, since then. It's okay. She has cool. I, I, saw, I saw the second the second go with her around Christmas time. And already by, by oh, okay. those, in those three months, okay. I could kind of see it coming down. Now I imagine it's even a little bit lower. Well, I hope, because the last time you invited me on the show, I was pretty excited about Hail Caesar. And I remain excited about Hail Caesar okay. as the real de facto uh, Hollywood-driven of, of musical uh, of that year. Okay, yeah, that's, that's mm -hmm. good call. Uh, on episode 173, we will be discussing 
personal shopper, which is coming out, uh, it's, it's rolling out through March, so you may want to tune in and out of this as we go, but uh, it's a really good movie, so hopefully we can whet your appetite a little bit ahead of it coming out. Uh, we're going to know more about Kurt, and we're going to flip the record over and play the other side, but first let's learn more about Mr. Happier. This is Know Your Enemy. Okay, get comfy, folks. This is going to take a second. On episode 48, Kurt's first appearance where we talked about The Descendants, we learned the first movie he'd ever seen in the theater was The Empire Strikes Back. The last movie he'd seen at the time was Vertigo. The worst movie he'd ever seen was Viking Massacre. I imagine that might have changed in five years. Uh, no, no? I think Viking Massacre, you, you, you really can't top right, this, okay. e- even if you could find it. <laughs> There's that. There's this, right? The unseen classic or essential is the sound of music he's since seen it and the film he wish he'd made was Danny Boyle Sunshine. Next, on episode 85, where we talked about Star Trek Into Darkness. The movie he digs that everybody else hates is Southland Tales. The movie he does not like that everybody else does is Schindler's List. The last movie to make him cry was Catch Me If You Can. In the movie of his life, he'd be played by Will Wheaton. And the movie he was watching next was Baz Luhrmann's Great Gatsby. Next, on episode 125, we talked about Foxcatcher, the film that made his love of film turn a corner was The Untouchables. The first date movie with his wife. No, was not with my ever, wife. Ever, sorry, my was wife. consenting adults. No, no, no. My you, first date with my wife, let me stop you there, seven? was seven. Right. Yes. <laughs> I've known you long enough that I know your stories. <laughs> I only have so many. <laughs> the film, his sick day film, is without a clue. The film that left him speechless was Manic Namana, and his epitaph would be, fuck, even in the future, nothing works. Finally, this time last year, give or take, on episode 152, where we talked about Hail Caesar, the film he really digs but never wants to watch again is a Russian movie called Come and See. The movie that genuinely freaked him out was Time of the Wolf, a Michael Haneke film. The film that always makes him laugh is The Burbs, no surprise there. And the soundtrack that he loves the most is Sympathy for Lady Vengeance. And the film he loves that nobody has heard of, and I think this is still the case, is Magic Magic. All right, time for the seldom heard round five of questions. When you go to the theater, where do you like to sit? Uh, well, I have a different seat in every theater in, in all, Toronto. Okay, all things in, being equal. All things being equal, I generally sit in the third row, which is the website uh, that that I run. Right. Uh, but it's the third row in a in a in a normal cinema, like say Lightbox One. Okay. It's the third row. Okay. In a cineplex, multiplex, it's the third row as it rises. Like those front, that front, like no man's land that nobody ever sits in. I don't either. No, no. Okay. So the weirdest thing is that 99% of all screenings, those are empty. Yeah. It's only an opening night of a, like a comic book movie or some huge event movie that would ever fill those up. Get those. That's, that's when you know you're at a busy night. So so like if, if that front bank is, is getting full. Yeah. You're, you're at a busy or the or the screen hoppers come in for like ten minutes and sit <laughs> yeah, there, sit there, and yeah. then they look at like kind of on the yeah. thing, and then they get yeah. up. Um, why so close? Uh, well, if if I quote uh, Bernardo Bertolucci's The Dreamers, I get to see it first in the cinema. <laughs> um, but uh, it it I I really uh, believe in the Martin Scorsese. I I don't, I don't know if it's his rule or some theater engineer uh, came up with it of that you should always sit one and a half times the screen's length away from the screen yeah and you should always look up at the screen you shouldn't if you look down 
you're condescending the movie, you're ah, less likely to like the movie. Really? Just from uh, just a human psychology. Huh. See, it's, it's funny because I do, I don't get to do it very often, but the, the romantic part of me does like front row balcony. Mm. Um, but but yeah, like now that you think about it, I'm, I'm, I'm looking down. Like one of those experiences I had, and I know it's a film that you love, that's why I'm bringing it up, is the first time I saw The Fountain. Yes. Um, I sat in the front row of the balcony. The uh, yeah, at the Ryerson. I was at the third row. Well, and, and I specifically remember some of those scenes where Rachel Vice is so big, like when she's mm -hmm. that that Spanish the princess, queen, yep, queen yep. you know, like I'm like, what? I, I feel, this feels wrong. Like she's she's basically should be like Oz the Great and Powerful right now, mm -hmm. just overwhelming me, and I'm looking down on her. Yeah. So I okay. my my I don't not sit at balconies like at the Hot Dog Cinema in Toronto. I I, I quite like the balcony every yeah. now and again, and occasionally I go up just for the convenience of sitting with people that yeah, prefer the balcony yeah. uh but uh, given my choice uh it doesn't feel like i'm watching a movie because the balcony's so far away i might as well be watching it on tv at home okay. like i want if i go to a movie sit, i want it big sit, and in my face sit close and drown in it okay mm -hmm. uh if you could go on a date with any movie character who would you choose that is a that is a weird question um <laughs> i don't it gets weirder when i apply it to books but go on Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character in Scott Pilgrim. Oh, Just, uh, uh, Ramona Flowers. Ramona Flowers, yes, yes. It's okay, because like it would be platonic. It, well, I'm double her age. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, then if you, platonic, platonic, just because of numbers. Yeah, um, that's that's like the thing I like. Okay, so first of all, the fact that she zips around our city, I'm right. sure doesn't hurt. Right, right. Like, like you're, you're like, yes. In, in, the back your, absolutely in the back of your head, you're like, she's a table. I mean, <laughs> in essence, watching Scott Pilgrim is what you just asked. Yeah, yeah. Like that's in a weird way. It if is. You, if you take Michael Sarah's character, if you go in as a surrogate for him, like it's essentially what you, they hang out in certain parks, they go to Castle Loma, Honest Ed's, all sorts of different locations, uh, Sneaky D's, I think. Uh, and I think well. the thing is we watch, uh, you know, we watch Scott Pilgrim and we think you are so drastically outnumbered kid. Like you, you, you have no idea what you're doing. He's just kind of like drifting through and, and you think to yourself, I could do better you you know like, I, I should be sitting down for tea with her i could yeah, do better I, than you i i would be uh, i would be okay we'll That's... have to talk to our good friend uh james mcnally who who has sat oh, down yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> with uh, with the actress yeah. the uh, thing i for... always the thing i always loved about flowers is there's that for scene beers. where she she rollerblades away and she like melts the snow behind mm -hmm. her yes i'm always like i'm like that's that's a really good little metaphor i right? tell you though on the subject of scott pilgrim as 21st century movies that actually engage with the language of cinema and do different things scott pilgrim is one of the best movies that's really? come out yeah. in the last 17 it's years it's a really underrated movie it the is, way it employs video games it's crazy it's, like I'm, how great that movie is i, think I yeah. might have to rewatch that tonight good call good call uh <laughs> this could get interesting now we're talking about cinematic releases only or dvd releases only not drifting over into the world of the internet what is the dirtiest movie you have ever seen uh, the dirtiest thing. I want to be facetious and say okay. the dirtiest movie I've ever seen is The Proposition. The Australian <laughs> Western, which has it's the awful. highest fly count. Uh, and, and by fly, I mean like, uh, it's like the insects. Yeah, it's like it's, like, crawling it's, it's, like it's populated by, by a whole bunch um, of pig pens. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I, I just... It's weird what you mean. Like, do you mean naughty by dirty? You know, it's, you you, mean, it's your interpretation. Uh, it's the way this all goes. I always say interpret these questions whichever way you wish. Sometimes I just say the knee-jerk reaction. So if you want I'm gonna, to... I'm going to hold with the proposition. The proposition. I'm going to hold with the proposition. I've actually never seen it. Oh, it's fabulous. I know it's... it's, it's like, it was a Western from like three years ago, right? 
2005. Austra Austra oh, jeez. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Australian? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and it's got a lot of um, and every yeah, and like, like Australian like actors in it. In yeah. dust. It's it's crazy. Uh, it's also got a nice like uh, Shakespearean uh, comic relief from John Hurt in okay. the movie. He has like a cameo. Okay. Uh, in it, and uh, yeah, it's it's a difficult movie. Most people, when you watch it the first time, you don't like it because it's it's intolerably vile. Okay. Uh, but you're like, wow, that's. Westerns yeah. go there, yeah, yeah. and the fact that it's an outback western, of which there are a few, yeah, yeah. Um, is is neat. It's really aged well, okay. as well. It's it yeah. It's one that's been on my my. First of all, good good work on reinterpreting that question. Um, but yeah, it's been on my on my to see list like forever. So I should probably get on that finally. I always want to mix like. There's a handful that have all kind of felt like that kind of ilk over the last few years. Mm -hmm. Like I know in the back of my head, I kind of confuse it with. Um, there's one called the Claim. That I always, I always claim is the claim is Michael Winterbottom, and that's in the middle of snowy. Uh, okay, uh, I, in the back of my head, I also mix it up with Bone Tomahawk, which I know is wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, well, and that's not even. They're all they all involve icky people. Yeah, but they are all radically different. Okay, um, but uh, yeah, that's kind of interesting. Okay. Good answer. I like this. Um, what is and this is this is kind of the opposite because it's a very generic question. What is your favorite black and white movie? Uh... Well, my favorite black and white movie would be my favorite movie of all time, which would be The Maltese Falcon. So, I, you know what? I don't uh, think I knew that. Oh, there you go. Uh, so by, by, by default, uh, I tried to think of something more clever than that because there's, a, there's so many movies now where black and white is a choice. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to... Um, it's, I like that it's coming up more frequently. You know, for a while there, it seemed like if, if a film wanted to try and up its art factor, but now it, right. seems, like, it seems like you're getting more and more of them every year. You're still not getting a, a, a boatload. Right. But if you really want to up your art factor, you film it in black and white, cut the aspect ratio to 1.331, yeah. and put art right in the title. Yes. You'll win an Oscar. Yeah, you will. You will. Um, the Maltese Falcon is your favorite movie. Mm -hmm. I, I, no, I never... One, it I just has it. that... It has that um, rogues gallery of characters. Yeah. It's got an iconic um, idea behind it. A MacGuffin behind it. Uh, and, I mean, people like... Peter Lorre and Sydney Greenstreet and just it, it's they're just deeply uh, fun to watch and you know Humphrey Bogart like you can't really no. go wrong in yeah. that department. Well, and the crazy thing too is that by by you know by pointing to that as a good black and white movie like that that's film noir so that's that's it being used in a very very specific way right like it, it was kind of the one of the next steps for black and white cinematography. I think so, and after, I don't, after, I'm, after I'm, I'm not a I love film noir, but I'm no scholar in like the nature of the genre, but I, I don't know where in the spectrum that lies because like any uh, nascent it's genre, a, it, it's it kind of exists for a while before anyone can really name it. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So like, was this was after? This the beginning but it, of it, it feels, it's, okay. it's old enough that it, it should have been like on the forefront. But uh, again, the, the, that's spaghetti westerns or westerns in general, film noir, musicals, these like large genres have really specific fandoms yeah, uh, to yeah. them and that are else? super experts. Yeah. Uh, and I am not, I am a fan of all three of those, yeah. but I'm, I would never like, I'm not sitting down to write a book yet on any of them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And uh, last but not least, what's a movie you like that nobody would expect you to dig? Because you are the person who doesn't like Schindler's List. Yeah. Um, well, on the subject of Spielberg, um, I mean, 
think I like most of his films. There's nothing. That's um, see, that's a, that like that that's, in itself is an answer because I know a lot of people jumping out. don't like, like him. Catch Me If You Can, which I yeah, which I like said a lot of people they, they either don't like him or they don't like what he's become. Like I know a lot of I don't know, I know a lot of people didn't even see the BFG. Let alone, well, like, it's bare, lovely. Bare, I know it's absolutely lovely. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, like stuff like that or like Munich. I know a lot of people don't like and 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 yeah, like Catch Me If You Can, War of the Worlds. I know a lot of people don't like. So so maybe that is your answer. Is like modern Spielberg. You're still in the boat. Oh, very much so. And uh, like Bridge of Spies is is oh, yeah. marvelous. Yeah. Just an, a marvelous movie. It just, it's got Mark Rylance again, uh, which you know you're 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 in good hands. Like Dunkirk, uh, the did, Christopher Nolan you do, movie coming out. How'd you do with, Tintin? You do with the adventure? Love, so love. Okay. So you know what? Tintin. I think that's your yeah. answer. Is modern yeah. Spielberg, which is yeah. where a lot of other people have bailed out, yeah. and a lot of people have bailed because they say, oh, he's just still doing his, you know, honey glow kind of thing, even though a lot of other people have moved past that now. Yeah. And on the subject of the comic book movies, I hate all of Marvel Disney, yeah. but I love Guardians of the Galaxy. So, And what? that should rub me the wrong way in that it's kind of the generic it's a Firefly, dozen. Star Wars, Dirty Dozen yeah. kind of movie. And and yet it's fabulous and I'm looking forward to it. And meanwhile, the, the film one. that I thought might bring you into the fold being Logan, you didn't like. Uh, well, you liked it, but you just found it. I was fine with Logan, yeah, but yeah. I, would, I think being fine with something is not good enough. If you really love something, fine is not the best way to feel about something. <laughs> gotcha. There we go. We'll learn more about Kurt this time next year when I've got to write a whole bunch of new questions. Because really, truly, <laughs> that's the end of the line. I'll have to come up with something new. Um, well, they're getting harder. I, I must admit, when I, you did these, I could just fire them off. <laughs> now they're they're really getting uh, tricky. Uh, we're going to talk about Personal Shopper in a moment. Um, because this film has not come out yet um, proper, you may want to take a little bit of warning because we're going to get into it but we're also going to get into a spoiler section we've done this a few times over the last little while because there's things that happen at the end of this movie that really warrant discussion so we're going to talk about it in the most general terms we can and sound a gong and uh, really get into it so come on back after this we're going to talk about personal shopper in just a moment no matter which way you go no matter which way you stay you're out of my mind Personal Shopper is written and directed by Olivier Assayas. It stars Kristen Stewart, Nora von Waldostaten. I was going to ask you to pronounce that, but I don't know why that thought entered my head. And Lars Eidinger. The film introduces us to Maureen, that's Stewart, a personal shopper for a model named Kira, that's Waldenstaden. Um, she's also, a, Maureen is also a medium, and when we meet her, she's trying to make contact with her brother, who recently died at the tender age of 27. When, while she is grieving for her brother, she goes about her day job styling the model and acting as her assistant, and in the midst of all this, she begins to get texts from an unknown caller, probing deep into her psyche and tapping into her uncertainty. The texts keep coming, keep messing with Maureen's head, and goad her into questioning what she believes, taking on the persona of the woman that she works for. Personal Shopper is a ghost story, and it's one of the most potent types of fuel for ghost stories, um, that being grief. When we see anybody trying to come to grips with loss, we can put ourselves in their shoes and feel their tension, and we understand how they might be susceptible to doubting their own senses. But it can also be a slog the sort of thing that can distance an audience from a story and, and just that they don't want to wade into those kind of waters. So, pop quiz, hotshot. What allows Chopper 
to keep the tension without getting us mired down in grief. Uh, I would argue that the reason to an, uh, a typical art house crowd why personal shoppers engage because they don't realize that it's a legitimately scary ghost story going in. Okay. Um, I, I, I say my experience seeing this at the Toronto International Film Festival last September was delightful that you knew 60 to 70% of that audience had no idea they walked into a horror movie. Okay. They, they saw Clouds of Sils Maria yeah. or Summer Hours and they're like, hey, I like that Assayas guy. He, he, he puts interesting movie stars in... French dramas. Let's right. just say, yeah, yeah, yeah. French dramas. Maybe there's a look at popular culture, like you know, uh, like, sorry, popular couture. Couture. Uh, yes. But but uh, but for the most part, um, they're very um, like domestic or um, adult problems, yeah. kind of thing. And I'm not saying that personal shopper is absent those things. Yeah. But when it opens up in the in the dark, scary house, and you have ghosts, or at least the hint of ghosts manifesting themselves in the corridor like a you know j-horror or classic um american ghost story that's unsettling to an like th there's an audience for movies uh that loves horror movies mm. and then there's an an audience that's anything but horror movies okay and personal shopper is a bridge that most people don't know they're walking across <laughs> that's uh and, okay and so to that end you're saying that in this movie, the grief works because we're already predisposed to to go there. Like we think, we actually think we're going into a movie about grief, and not going and not going to be meeting any ghosts while we're there. Well, I personally think what I thought of the movie when my limited knowledge going in, I see director Olivier Assayas, I'm all in. Like yeah. I don't need to know anything else. I'm like, okay, it's got Kristen Stewart. Um, she's working for a movie star again, uh, and. Uh, and she's she spends a lot of time in upscale French and London boutiques, Paris, yeah. uh, shopping for stuff. And I'm like, that's it. Like I didn't know any of this. And I think a, a large swath of the audience going into this, they don't know they're going to see a movie about grief. They don't really know. Like go in. It's it's a it's a strange movie. And see, that's the fu the funny thing that you you paint it that way is I in preparation for this show I watched the trailer. Uh, just to kind of refresh my memory of a couple of the little, little totems and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it turns it around completely. It sells it as a ghost story. Yeah, that's so I kind of feel like idea. I, I feel like that's a, that's the wrong approach because you're going to get people going into it expecting a ghost story and they're handed this woman going into boutiques and, you know, trying to find her way through life. And I like that too. Well, <laughs> I, I like the fact that this director is clearly out to not give the audience what it thinks it wants when they walk into this movie. Oh, that to me is deeply satisfying. Yeah. So, so clearly you like this movie. Yes, okay. I'm a big fan. Of um, I, I I dug it too. I was this. I would have seen it back at TIFF if I wasn't doing a TIFF with female directors. Mm -hmm. This would have been an easy mm -hmm. check mark. Actually, th that was kind of the one thing that was cool about TIFF last year was that it forced me to stop. The easy check marks mm -hmm. because like I left this aside and I left nocturnal animals aside. Mm -hmm. A big part of that for me now, which is strange for me to say at this point, is Kristen Stewart. Um, she is an actor who I'm always interested to see what she does now. If I've always, always been interested to see all the way back to Panic Room. Yeah. Um, 
I have no real interest in the Twilight movies. No. And I was deeply lamented when she's like, oh, she's going to be stuck in those for a decade. Yeah. But Into the Wild. Uh, Adventureland. Advent- yeah. All of this stuff, I have always been on board. It's really interesting to see that she's getting the opportunity to work with these big league directors mm-hmm. and be able to do the, the art house uh, circuit. Like I feel like Nicole Kidman and various other big actors have done this in the Natalie past. Like, Portman yeah, you recently. do a, a Lars von Trier film, you, you know, you go yes. and you do this. Um, and it's funny you should say that at TIFF you were seeing female directed films. Olivia says was very, very um, adamant at the screening that, uh, that, that Kristen Stewart pretty much co-directed this film. Really? Yeah. Like she, she, like in that he wasn't really directing her. Like he, he, was, he was letting deferring her, to her do deferring to her. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's see, that's, and it's like, funny cause it's L as well. The, the Paul Verhoeven film, which with, I hated uh, Isabella bear. He also said the same thing. So oh, really, so the, the notion uh, of, uh, okay. Okay. of so like just... the auteur director is an interesting one in that, you know, if you let the actor at the center of the film, Really, it's, it frames the photographer more as the listener. Yes, you know? and in both cases, yeah, I believe please, that's like, true. Like I, I have you here. Please speak while I listen. Right, you know, and right. I will just I will record what yeah. I'm hearing as best I can. Which you associate as like a documentary film, and yeah. I would argue a lot of Assayas's films, even though they're very stylish and very well designed, yeah. they have that. We're not really sure what the film is about. Yeah, aspect to them. We'll, fi- we'll, we'll find, find it. it. We'll find, it, <laughs> we'll as find we it as we go. Absolutely. Um, so, like, did the two sides of this story, like, how do they inform each other for you? Because so, on the one hand, we've got this whole thing of her in this world of style, which is mm-hmm. kind of odd for her because she's just she seems like you know kind of a grad student. Like she dresses in yep. jeans and sweaters, mm-hmm. and you know she's tattooed. She's just got like a, a cheap little punkish haircut, but she's drifting through. Like the offices of Cartier, you know. Yeah. Uh, as a for instance, it's, it's kind of interesting to see that because you, I, I, I go, I, I can't step into if I want to get a, a gift for the missus from Tiffany's. I know I got to wear a shirt with a collar. Right. You know. Um, so on the one hand, you've got this whole world of style, but on the other hand, you've got this world of mediums and crossing over the other side. Like, do these feel like they're two things that should go together? Well, the movie is about her finding a ghost. And the movie is about her kind of being a ghost in her own life. So I think it crosses over nicely. Like if you watch Personal Shopper very closely, you'll see that with the exception of only a few really key scenes, hmm. Kristen Stewart is by herself the whole movie. Oh shit. Like she is by herself and she's on her moped. She's in the actress's apartment. She's, um, you know, she's drifting from shop to shop, but she's barely interacting with the shopkeepers. Often she feels like she's in like the back room just going through a rack yeah. of, of things. <clears throat> and I think by the time, you know, the, the back half of the movie starts to become more a movie about her going, what do you want to do with your life? And far less about um, the closure with her, her brother. Mm-hmm. Like maybe the brother is... And I'm maybe reading too much into the movie, but I, I think almost the the brothers' grief and the pact that they made and everything all feel like excuses to not make some decisions and get on with your life. Which grief and funerals and things that, that that's what they're they're supposed to culminate, so you can close the envelope and mail it and move on. Yeah. And this movie, it which feels is, like she's taking her time and not 
ready to move on. Yeah, like not to go down a rabbit hole, but this is another one of these movies that I've watched over the last four months that have tapped on a nerve. And the what, like, if I had to watch this movie a year ago, I never would have thought twice about what you just mentioned, but it's the kind of movie that explains, no, once you get past the funerals and the memorial and all that stuff and pack it in an envelope, you can mail it, but you're still, in, in a sense, you're, you're holding it for quite some time. Yes. Um, which, which, you know, until you go through that, you don't... I don't know if the film actually sells that aspect. Like, I, no, I feel that's, that's not the thing that well, pulls it, me into the well, film. Well, what it does, it's, it's funny, because what it does is, this whole movie is her projecting onto these messages, right? Like, like a big chunk is her looking at these messages that are really probing and really personal and... You mean the text messages? The text messages mm -hmm. that she gets. Um, are really probing and really personal and really philosophical and, and, you know, end up at a certain point just becoming like a bunch of doubled heirs. But she's projecting onto it her relationship with her brother. Like she, you can see yeah. in the way that it's she's It's the reacting. whole, you caught me at an interesting time kind <laughs> yeah. of philosophy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which, yeah, which I don't think you would have, that's what... Maybe, made, that maybe. maybe. I, didn't, I didn't think about that when I was watching it and, and you might be right, but I know that on the... Will she talk to the ghost? Won't she talk to the ghost? Uh, I, I was interested in seeing it. Yeah. But I wasn't... When I, and, I'll, and this goes for almost every Olivier Essayas movie that I've watched. And I'm a ardent fan of the director. I'm, I'm not, but I I'm do not, not get emotionally into him. Okay, like, really? it's like Soderbergh. Like, you, you watch Soderbergh movies, you don't get deeply emotional into Soderbergh movies. They're just deeply interesting to watch. And, and I find... Um, and I find he does these... Because he always does the... Like, the this sort of rich kind of people that that mm. have the ability to just hop Pick on up a and plane go. and go yeah. anywhere in in this movie. Yeah, you're saying she's like a grad student and whatnot, but she is Skyping her boyfriend who is some sort of engineer in some oil field somewhere. Yeah. Like, I mean, they're not destitute. Mm -mm. Um, she's not exactly backpacking no. to the dumpy hostels. Like, she can do that as a choice. Yeah. And I find all of Asaias' movies, whether it's the like the corporate intrigue and demon lover or uh, Maggie Chung playing herself and going and making, or not in clean in, oh. um, in uh, Irma Vep, Irma like going to, to make a movie, but even in clean clean is in like Hamilton, uh, Paris, uh, is it, is it in Hong Kong as yeah. well? Like, I mean, that movie is, movie is really, movies. really, um, and all of his films feel global, like they're global citizens yeah. more than, uh, anything. Even clouds of souls. Maria has that whole, um, What's the actress who plays Hit Girl? Um, oh, like she's the Chloe, Hollywood Chloe Moretz. Chloe Moretz. She's like the, they, they, it has this whole thing where he makes like four small Hollywood movies and yeah, kinda, yeah. and has like the reality TV and the tabloid gossip that he makes Just on top of Juliette Binoche on her you know traveling to upscale festivals by train and giving so it's lectures. This kind, it's right? this kind of approach to filmmaking that does it for you. Like he could be talking about. He could be talking about carpenters in this movie and you'd still be buying in. Like, if the subject matter for you for an SAS movie doesn't really matter. Like, at this point, you're... I, you're I, I would completely say that. Now, I love... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love this movie, not for how it emotionally engages me, not for even the plot. Okay. <laughs> um, I, this movie won the Best Director Award at Cannes and yeah. I get that yeah. I get why that would happen <laughs> this thing is directed this yeah. thing is really and it is unclassifiable you can say it's a ghost story you can say it's a hey materialism 
way out of hand movie. You could say it's a movie about grief, but really it's none of those things exclusively. No, it's it's like we were talking about. It's that Venn diagram where they all kind they of overlap. all overlap, and you're like, it's what is that dot point? in the center? <laughs> yeah. I agree. Completely. Um, kind of a nuts and bolts thing. So there's there's a lot of this movie that's dedicated to a text message conversation. Mm-hmm. I know you've talked about this on your show, but I don't know exactly where you are with this. Where are you with the on with, with the representation of text on screen? Because you've got what the way this film approaches it, which is the camera over the shoulder at the LED, mm-hmm. is one approach. We've begun to get to this other approach where it's like a graphic on the screen. Right. Do you do you have a camp? Do you uh, care? I I love the text on the screen like uh what was the movie with liam neeson on the airplane oh uh, um non-stop non-stop and sherlock, sherlock the bbc it. was the first place that i saw like on screen obviously house of cards uses yeah, it yeah. In, a, in a big way i'm a huge fan of the shorthand of that okay it would be a terrible choice for this movie why because the movie's about looking at screens not getting the info she's talking to her boyfriend through skype she's looking at these even the ghost is kind of a projected screen on top of things so you have to look at it like the act of her looking at it which seems wasteful in cinematic language and i feel like you said we've evolved out of it now yeah so you can do two things yeah there is a lot of time though a lot of like insert shots uh this movie might set a record for number of insert shots see i'm i'm the opposite like i i actually feel i could feel what she was going through during those conversations like i could take i could sense that this was really messing her up because it was taking her at a very vulnerable time and and tapping on this nerve right mm-hmm. like not the least of which the fact that she keeps on engaging with an unknown caller i wanted to watch her in those moments even if i was watching just like the way her eye twitches as she's trying to type yeah. or or yeah, like yeah, you know yeah. like a flutter in her fingers i wanted that i didn't want to watch her oh, led i, I wanted yeah, to okay. see her yeah. in those moments it's kind of like i like you know i'm I watching like, the way people write yeah, you know, like like mm-hmm. the way they they hold that kind of that that's my thing. That's the one thing I like about it is that it seems gimmicky to put those graphics on a screen or to split screen something. But like you that. can see the person. But you can, yeah, and, yeah, so and they're it still is, acting. It's yeah, not just it, an insert yeah, shot. Yeah, and, and and those little those little inflections, those are that that is visual language. I won't disagree with you. Yeah. I I, I am a fan okay of the it. approach, yeah. uh, but and and I. I I, I'd be lying if it didn't strike me as a little odd when I the first time I'm watching. I'm like, you know, for a director of such sort of smooth moving sophistication like you look at all the shots of Kristen Stewart on the moped the way he drives through cities he's really good at it Um, like to do that seems almost like wow that's kind of clunky but then if you look at the way that she's engaging with the world she's in a shell it, it, it is her looking at screens and admittedly there are things like where she's on the train and you see her reflection in the in the in the train thing or when she's at the diner at one point you do see it's not like exclusively no. just close-ups of phone screens yeah and that's and, and there's moments where there's moments in between where you can really see how it's how it's messing with her or how it's playing yeah. with her um you know or like when, she, when she's when she's at the house there's a lot of times where she's getting texts and she's at the the model's house and she's moving around but you can even yep. just see in her body language how it's getting to her. It's funny though, a lot of that stuff was done on set, as I understand it, in real time. Like they had someone else. Oh really? Like, cause it looks like, oh, they just shot these as inserts. Yeah. But again, at the Q and A, uh, Asaius was saying like, what a 
pain in the ass because sometimes if it picked up as like an iPhone, it would go blue, but they wanted them all to be green. And he's like, we learned some hard lessons of, <laughs> of shooting text. You'd think it'd be easy yeah. of shooting text in real time when yeah. you're on set. And that's oh, what they man. did. So maybe they overdid it, but maybe that also got the rhythm. But I, I, I can see what you're it's, saying. It's funny too. You want to see our, more faces. Our, our that's friend what Corey actually uh, was mentioning something about this movie when he talked about the... Um, the lift and the tension of seeing those three dots appear when somebody's yes, to type to yes. you. Yes, it, 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 that actually it is. Plays, it's, it's, it's seeing that actually it's does totally play really Hitchcockian. Well. Not only that, this movie has a whole action set piece of you coming out of a no service zone and getting texts all at once. Mm -hmm. Like that's like a deadly. I couldn't believe. Like I was breathless after that scene, and it's I'm like, like a hail of they bullets. just did that. Like when you get off the subway. Well, here in Toronto, yeah. normal cities have. Wi-Fi on the subway, but in Toronto <laughs> you have these like long dead zones, and then you come out and it's like kablunk, 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 yeah. and they actually do a set piece yeah, with those things where they all come in, and it's really effective. Yeah. Oh man. Okay, I, I do want to talk about spoilery stuff, so we're going to skip ahead in just a second here. But before we do that, just in case you happen to be listening to this, uh, we're going to do our rating and our souvenir. Um, every review here on the Matinee Cast, we end with something tangible or intangible that if you could, you would keep. From this film, uh, Kirk Hathaway, what is your souvenir from Personal Shopper? My souvenir from Personal Shopper is, it, this is kind of a ghost story where it's very likely that the all the supernatural element is entirely in Kristen Stewart's character's head mm. due to grief. Yeah. And yet there is at least one moment, this is my souvenir, there's one moment where the ghost is doing something that she doesn't notice. If you're, If it's in your head... How can the ghost do something that you're not you aware notice. of? That is awesome and <laughs> deeply, deeply interesting as a as a film language for me. We will we'll talk about that in a minute because I actually I do know what you're talking about, and that was really cool. My souvenir from this is I realized I need to take more trains through Europe because when she was hanging out in those little like uh, uh, lounges waiting for her train, I'm like, those are posh. Mm. And that's probably not even, not even the first class one there. That, that like that is, that looks way better than what we have like at Union Station. Well. Okay, uh, not that this is the Rag on Toronto uh, podcast, <laughs> but Union Station looks like Bulgaria in 1981. I, I mean, and it's like been yeah, like that for five years. It, it is a plywood rat maze with no food or pellets <laughs> at the center. Anyway. There's no cheese. <laughs> There's no um, cheese. I know you don't like to do it, but we rate on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars. Kurt Hapier, what do you give personal shopper on a scale of one to four? I will, I will give it a four. You Just know, four... Uh, purely for originality okay like, okay this ordinarily this would be a four for me but the thing is that it's coming off of clouds of sils maria which was my, not as good as that no it's not I and, that was, and agree. that was my favorite film of the year last I, year and so that's the thing this paints in really really broad strokes glorious broad strokes beautiful broad strokes but it's more it seems like it's more rustic in what it wants to say Whereas Sils Maria was really, really finite on a lot of different points. Yeah. So this is this is a glorious movie. It's like a three and a half for me. And on, on any other year, it would probably be a four. But coming off that one, I'm like, eh, Well, no. everything needs context. Yes. Um, and uh, I, I certainly mm -hmm. can't. I, I think Clouds of Sils Maria is a far yeah. better film than this. But this one is kind of bonkers in its own way. And I I'm, it's back deeply to it. endearing yeah. to me. Um, all right, we are going to get spoilery right after this. So if, in case you want to come back and just have us talk all the way about this movie to its bitter, bitter end, uh, feel free. But if you want to leave something to be, uh, to be surprised with, uh, skip ahead to the other side. But for now, we're going to get spoilery about Personal Shopper. Right.
Okay, turn back now if you're afraid, but uh, we gotta get to the, the end of this little horror show. So, okay, we get, we get to the crux of this story. We get, after we get Stuart in that, you know, killer dress, under a killer coat, going to this hotel, you know, on, on the say-so for text messages. She comes back and the model's dead. Like the model's been murdered. She's all flustered and she pieces together that whoever's sending these messages is behind it, right? Like it is not. Yeah, a ghost. this is this is a this is a trap. Yeah, yeah. She that she that she's in. So she goes back to the hotel one more time, right? And and is seems like she's there to confront. Now in this moment we get we get the confrontation. We don't see it. We get the confrontation, and then we get what seems to be a ghost leave. Like we get doors opening mm -hmm. and an, an empty elevator going down. And it's kind of a hard thing to kind of wrap your brain around because on the one hand I'm thinking, oh, okay, she just walked into that room and she got killed, right? And that's, that's her spirit leaving. Or I don't know, like, did you see that as, wait, no, that was some, something or someone else leaving like that that to me kind of feels it's the one thing and and there's nothing about it online right now because the film is still sort of rolling out oh i i don't know i i looked at the actress uh thing as as quite mundane i mean she's layering the ghost stuff onto the actress but it's ultimately just a like a douchey guy i mean it's not really a there's there's nothing supernatural going on with her employment no, there's nothing supernatural going on with her employment, but it feels like there's something supernatural going on with that confrontation. Because something leaves that room. Oh, like a guardian angel something thing? Something leaves that room. Whether it's her, because at first I thought it was her. I thought she walked into that room and died, and that was her spirit leaving. No, I didn't get that. Because then he leaves, and he gets gunned yeah. down, but then we see her. So it's obviously yeah. not her. I, that definitely warrants a rewatch. More interesting to me visually is when she's back at the manor house. This yeah, is, which now th yeah. that's the next. That's, that's a bit clearer. Right. And okay, so that for me, first of all, was a beautiful scene. Because now, like now, you know, I talk about the rest of the movie, how she's dressed down. Now she's really dressed down. Yeah. Like she's in an oversized flannel shirt. She's got on a toque, a uh, stocking cap if you're not Canadian. Um, she's, got, she's got on a, a wool hat and she's, she's now... Now it really feels like she's taken that envelope and she's ready she's, to move on. Yes, she's ready to move right? on. She talks and to like you feel like the ghost walks away. It's an interesting metaphor. Yeah. And but she's not aware. That's the the fundamental thing is yeah. that it happens outside of like and 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 there's you can layer on things and say, "Oh, this was he was drawing your attention or not in the hotel in mm -hmm. the city." Mm -hmm. Uh but it's unquestioning that he's drawing your attention here. It is explicit. Yeah. It is, you can't get more it clear is, it is, but in it's, its like, and it's like It is beautiful in the way that you can tell in this moment that she is really and truly letting go. There's a lot in this movie where it talks about she's doing things that she doesn't like to do. And it's yeah. taking time away from what she really wants to do. But it's like, so why are you still doing it? And you kind of, you know, it's just kind of, it's unsaid. Well, and it's, and it's quite banal, mm -hmm. but, and I, and I feel that the message of this movie the ultimate message of this movie is quite banal. Like, you know, go out and live your life. Like, that's it's not a bad message. It's no. just not a terribly interesting one either. No. Uh, but I, I'm of, of the firm belief that um, a movie does not always have to have an interesting message to be an interesting movie. And that, uh, like, the, the, the last three or four minutes where she's, you know, she's left the continent. Well, we're going to get there. Because that's, that's another thing that yeah. I think was kind of... It, these are these two moments are the kind of things I feel they could sink a lesser movie, and 
they planted enough doubt in my head to kind of back off the holy shit, this movie is the greatest thing I've seen so far this mm-hmm. year. Even though it is one of the best things I've seen so far this year. So, you know, I, 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 it was one of those things where I felt like you could have done the shorthand of she wasn't alone in that room without necessarily opening doors and right. you know, that, that kind of thing. It's, it's actually kind of interesting that we're having this conversation when you were standing in my vestibule and could not open the yes. door. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a spirit soul could open a door. I waited patiently, though. <laughs> I waited patiently for um, the door to open. So, you know, like... And then in that moment, and then in the moment when she goes to the Middle East, we've got this shorthand of a floating glass. Yes. Okay. So, again, a lesser movie, I would have been out. I would have yeah. been like, get get the piano wire off the glass and just off camera knock it off its perch. Right, right, right. Because the moment that you're mentioning of the brother being in the background and her not noticing, yeah. it's one, it's beautiful. Yeah, it is it, beautiful. It's, it's a glorious it really visual image. Yeah, and then it almost feels like it goes too far because behind her you could see a glass floating, yep. mm-hmm. and then eventually dropping. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know about you, but for me, and then when she gets to the Middle East, she walks into a room and there's a glass hovering, and again it drops, and now she's clued in as to what she's seeing. Right. I don't, I, floating glasses are one of those things that would that, that really rub me the wrong way. <laughs> It's very specific. Yes, because it's, that's very Scooby Doo. <laughs> it is. You know? It is very Scooby Doo. Uh, I don't you, you, think you, that was the intent here. No, it's, I, that's the thing. I know it's not. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, you just, I guess you just went with it. I there's so many things in this movie, and I, I, I must. I'm guilt. I'm as guilty of this as the next person, as anybody. Um, like I can nitpick. Uh, James Mangold's Logan to death on like little lazy details yeah, that yeah. they're like, but um, I feel that that movie brought it on itself because it wants to say, look, this is the X Men movie in the real world. Right. So if you fuck up the details when you've when you've said you're going to be in the real world, I'm really not sure, okay. really not sure what space personal shopper is ever in no because it's a hitchcockian yes uh thriller for yeah. a while yeah. it's a ghost story like a kiyoshi kurosawa ghost story yeah for a while it's, it's and like then it, meditation on and materialism then it's, and then yeah. it's that so i'm like i'm up for grab bag cinema on this like <laughs> i was completely fine with that uh, i was completely no, was, fine with it yeah, like, but the final message of her going yeah i'm just gonna live my life like i'm like okay Whatever. Um, the movie is so good at that point. I don't know. It's pretty so hard to break. It's, it's okay. Like, you know, when I talk about I compare this movie to Clouds of Sils Maria. Clouds of Sils Maria, she just disappears. Yeah, she just... And nobody knows. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, same sort of thing. I had to come home and I, like, I Google what the heck just happened. And at the end, I didn't care. Right? No. Because, just because well, cause she's fine. gone. Just she because, left. Yeah, she just left. because she's gone. Yeah. Even whether, same, whether or not she vanished Same sort of or, thing here. So if yeah. she heard the glass or if the glass just happened to break and she's projecting onto it, oh, that must have been Lewis... Cool, I'm in. To actually see the glass floating, I'm like, uh, I don't know. Um, I'd rather they just broke the glass. I don't need to see the floating glass. Maybe, maybe, maybe Isaias is just tired of. I'm not being mad. asked I'm just whether or not the glass is half empty <laughs> or half full. He's like, no, no, the glass is floating and it's broken. So then we get. So then eventually we do get to the end of this movie. And, and, we, and we bring her into a room in the Middle East with a floating glass. And she is quite clearly communicating with her brother. Like, he, at that point, he's making no bones about it. He's responding in, in the way that they have, that she sees as clear as a medium. 
Yeah, but again, if you want to look at it metaphorically, uh, if if the boyfriend's spiritual existence is holding her back for the movie, uh, the last sequence is her relate her her relationship grief, whatever you want to call it, to her deceased twin brother now is propelling her forward into life. That's a positive message. Okay, see, I got a different thing out of that. I got in that moment, in that final scene, I got that she's gone. Because the last thing she asks is, am, am I okay? And there's no thump. And the screen goes to white. I've got, and, and nobody else is around her. I got that she got killed on that road. No, oh, that's interesting. But I don't, the, now, we're, get, now the, we're getting into, is Deckard a replicant territory? We are, like, but you, I mean, you, that's you undermine the whole movie. movie. <laughs> I am, I know. And that's, see, that's, uh, that, that's the thing. Like, first yeah, of all, I've been yeah. chewing on that for a week. Right for a whole week, I've been, I, and and this is the thing that's frustrating about nothing. But is it is it, is there? It fades to white right after yeah. that, right? Yeah. So which to the, me says, "Bye, see ya." She's gone. Well, it also says we're, we're not going to give you the answer. No, uh, you think the beat's long enough that it's. I think that yeah. yeah I, well, no, yeah. It, it's it's not it's not the end of Inception waiting for that. Yeah, yeah, time. waiting to think. No, the tip it, was, it was long enough that she didn't get that thump of "Am I okay?" That was a nope. No, well, yeah, not. but I mean, this is a Olivia Isaias movie. Never, no one's ever okay. <laughs> No one is, everyone is wealthy and empowered and mobile and depressed. Yeah. <laughs> that is the, I, that runs right through. It's also, it's not even Assayas. Yeah. That's, that's, that's just France. Like, right? like the whole country. <laughs> <That's> the French. <laughs> <laughs> it's the whole country. It's the whole country. I, I, I see. And that's the thing is that now, listen, on the one hand, I like that these little burrs are left under my saddle in this movie like I, I i like when a film like this does something to me right you know um but all the same i'm like you were going along at such an amazing clip and then you did these few strange little things right at the end i do like movies in this space that are rather clear that there are no answers and that's not what the, the movie's not about to give you answers plot wise or no. life wise yeah um also on a technical side, more directors should fade to white. More people should use fade to white. I'm a big fan do, of fade to, like white. fade to white. Big yeah. fan of fade to white. Yeah. And you almost never see it. No, no. But but again, to me, that's a very, very specific uh, shorthand. You know, like I don't feel like you could fade to I feel like you could have faded to white at the end of Logan. Uh, spoilers for Logan. Um, but I don't feel like you could have faded to white at the end of Guardians. You know, not not to. Uh, yeah, it's funny. That's like a whole. That's a whole separate conversation yeah, yeah, of the nuance of the color. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like the. the you know, I'll, I'll tell no you. No one something. fades to blue. No. Fades to pink. I, I think they should. <laughs> yeah, Alvin Dovar should should fade yeah, to yeah, red yeah. every time. I feel. I feel. Paul Thomas Anderson's um, Punch Drunk Love. Yes. Uses different color very nicely. Yeah. In very nice ways. Um, listen, I th if you've listened this far, I think it's pretty clear. We're both saying that you should absolutely positively track down this movie, and that even my, with my little supposed flaws that I'm picking on that even I'm, I'm saying it might not matter to you. You might be fine with a floating glass um, or, or fine with and, people. And great movies are rarely perfect. This is true too. Yep, this is very, very true. Um, but speaking of movies that we think you should see, we are going to come back right after this with the other side. Two movies that could marry up with Personal Shopper. We're back. He's Kurt Hathier and I'm Ryan McNeil. Episode 173 of the Matinee Cast. 
We've been talking about Personal Chopper, and in something of a rarity for this show, we're going to go back over familiar territory. On the last episode, um, in, in a marry-up with Cure for Wellness, uh, Caroline Morissette talked about audition. Oh, in terms of... In terms That's of, funny. Yeah, in, in terms of a horror connection. And, uh, and you saw a connection of Takesha Mike's audition when you watched Personal Chopper. Now... I'm perplexed, <laughs> but um, what what was it that you saw as, as the marriage between the two? What made you think of audition? Well, after Bruce uh, in the in the broadest of strokes, which seems to be the catchphrase, "Take a drink on the yeah, show." Yeah. Um, audition starts as one thing mm-hmm. and becomes totally something else, and it really marries itself to the the family grief drama side of things for a long time before it becomes a gonzo Japanese, like eye melting horror picture, yeah. uh, like deeply disturbing movie. And I, and I think there's a lot of elements, particularly all of the mundane shopping elements in, um, uh, like, Takashi Miike has said in the past that it was his intent for the first 40 minutes of audition to bore like to actually <laughs> really? lull you into like this movie is boring before he broke out piano wire and and needles and and the movie goes Why? nuts. Well, like, like, well what, what it's was... like a lulling. It's a lulling. I, I would argue uh, Henneke uh, uses it quite well, effectively in Cachet at times. He 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 brings you down so far and then gooses you with an act of violence, which is ten times more than it has any right to be because you're in this lower place right um yeah and and in a more plot driven sense uh audition is a movie about grief and getting over uh, in this case it's a man's wife who's died of cancer well it's, it's funny it's funny that you mentioned that because yeah so one there's the connection of the, the the moving past death and and both of these movies certainly take a different approach than something like demolition right the, yes the, the, the which is a more straight you know, yeah, which, straight up, yeah. which is also a weird. Love that movie too. How how we get past yep. death, um, but a different way. I actually went back to to Carolyn when you mentioned audition because she's a huge uh, French nerd, and I was asking her what the difference is between the French's approach to horror and the Japanese approach to horror. Um, it, it, like, what, where where is the difference? And the one thing she said, and maybe this is the maybe this is the key to marrying the two movies, is that the difference to her. Is that French horror is often secular, um, whereas J horror will play on folklore and engaged uh, and, and ingrained culturally significant superstitions. Meanwhile, though, audition doesn't do that. No, you know, no. audition very much is about audition is set in the modern world, and any weird things happening are distinctly modern things. There's no like yokai spirits yeah. or or any you know of the classic. No, uh, Mike kind of does beat to the <laughs> his, own <drum. laughs> his own drum. But uh, what I love about Audition um, is for Mike, who 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 has very little impulse control when he makes movies. Yeah, uh, Audition is a is a very austere, for the most part, picture. And when he does the the big beat, and this is a huge huge spoiler. If you've not seen Audition, please skip ahead forty five seconds. Um, it's a straight movie for a long time until he makes that first call mm-hmm. to his would-be girlfriend to go out on a date. Yeah. And she answers the phone in that Spartan room 
and there's the Zach off in the corner and halfway through the call. That feels so deeply classic Hollywood, like Hitchcockian, uh, Orson Welles kind of filmmaking in that moment, which is not often the case no, in the no. way. Mike is much more like a punk rock kind of guy well, where, where it's a lot of screaming yeah. and a lot of loud sound cues. He was, he was Mobius, wasn't he? That was his... Isn't that, is Mobius, isn't that his movie as well? Takeshi Miki? He has so many. He has like a hundred. The, the one from a few years ago where the guy. Uh, it was the one all on the stage? No. Oh, no, oh. that's Kim Kido. Kim Kido. Okay. That sorry. is a totally different animal. <laughs> yes. No, Miki is. Uh, the one on the stage where, yeah, it was, it was like the show mirroring the guy's life. And it was like, you know, the. the, the I can't other, remember like, what that one was called. Um. It was, it was the same tiff. That's why I'm getting yeah, confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think I, saw yeah, I probably saw days. them right together the key, as well. The, 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 no, I remember I the underlying message was don't step out on your marriage. Yeah. Don't, don't matter what. Yeah, don't yeah, you yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so th I think that was the thing for me when I thought about audition in relation to Personal Shopper is that they're both films that kind of seem to want to eschew, and I know you hate them, jump scares. Yes, you know? I hate jump even, scares. Even a lot of the what, what many would call the best modern horror movies seem to love a good jump scare. And there's really none of them in either one of these two movies. There are like shocking moments that will pin you back in your seat. That, yes. that bag moving being one of them. Yeah. But it's not the kind of thing that's like, ah, you know. No, it's not. It's actually quite subtle. Yeah. It's almost like a rack focus, slight stir. It's very subtle. Yeah. It's so effective that it doesn't have to be. Same, um, like, same thing in Personal yeah. Shopper. Like when, when, when that first, when that spirit really lets itself known, mm -hmm. it's not a, a yeah, in the manor house. Yeah, at the it's beginning. Not, it's, yes. Yeah, it's not like a bang off screen. Yeah. Um, when when she gets to the the murder scene, same thing. It's it's not like ah, you know, like and and the the, the score swells up to, to underline it. So it, it it almost feels like when he goes to make his first horror movie that Asaias was informed by Mika. I would love to know because Asaias <laughs> is a Cahiers de Cinema. Mm -hmm. former film critic mm -hmm. and he's very well versed and he loves genre he he i mean people are you know I, I said off the top that many people in the art house circles might have come into personal shopper not realizing he's going to give you like an actual horror movie embedded yeah. inside but if you look at a lot of um essayists other films they have uh large chunks of uh genre like like I would love it. I love the film, but I'd love to explain someone to explain to me exactly what is going on in Ordingate. It's like it's like an American thriller, yeah. totally filtered through a European cineast lens. Yeah. Like it's it and and I mean Demon Lover, which is a corporate thriller about anime tentacle porn. Um, he's he's done so many strange things, and they're always they always have a little bit of that in it he, so i guess the my question though that i i have come to in um in my now seven year or so exploration into horror because i was a late convert okay um is throwing it on just for kicks like audition to me doesn't kind of feel like the kind of thing i can no, put on a saturday no, afternoon it's not so no, you put you put and, and this is my massive beef i have with the populist horror community okay uh right now is that they that they give credence and kudos to utter shit yeah. like the conjuring and okay. the conjuring 2 because it 
it just jump scare after jump scare after jump scare. And you're saying like a lot of modern classic movies rely on jump scares. I just disagree with that statement with the word classic okay. in those statements. A lot of modern films that, that are popular, mm -hmm. um, but I don't really consider any of those classics in any way, but shape, you, or form. But hang on, but like you drifted, like, so these kinds of movies, you could throw them on in the afternoon? Or do no. you really feel like these are the kinds of things that demand they're, darkness? They're, they're art films. films. They're art films. They are. They're, 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 you, don't, you don't casually fire um, audition into the Blu-ray player. You certainly don't casually fire personal shopper into the like, None of these are casual movies at all. Whereas something like... Okay, uh, see, actually, you know what? No, you've, you've actually put me into a different heads, headspace because I would put on... I would put on certified copy just for kicks, just because it's so beautiful. And if I need to, like, okay. if I need distraction, that's it's a weird. I know. I know. That's I a know, very specific I choice. Like, no, you're, you, I, I you've, tapped, you've hit a specific nerd because that's the way my brain is wired. It's not the way mine works. I, I could never put on certified copy just and not be fully engaged with it. Like, really? that's, it's so that movie is so formally rich. Yeah, and so like idea rich on top of the film language rich okay. that I, I would it would be weird to throw okay, on in so the that's background. okay but but I but I, I don't I, 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 I won't really completely disagree okay. because I won't completely disagree because you can put on some pretty technically difficult music mm -hmm. on in the background yeah. people do yeah I'm, I'm not saying that's it's the wrong thing to do I'm saying approach. I personally you could it, it's I, I can do like I, I'll put on something like Shane Black's The Nice Guys yeah, yeah. Uh, on because it's it's light and it's easy and it's almost sketches. Yeah, yeah. So you can come in and out, even The Big okay. Lebowski. I never, but, I, but no, that's that's a good takeaway from this because I never actually thought of horror film as installation art. That's really cool. Um, my other side for this film, I, I went with the easy answer, but part of me wanted to go back there because I kind of feel like it's a movie that has kind of gotten somewhat forgotten. Um, I went back to 2001, and I talked about um, another foreign director, uh, Alejandro Anamemnar's The Others. Anamemnar? The Others, uh, with Nicole Kidman, um, and a whole bunch of other character actors, but she is like the only name. And this is yeah. kind of like at the height of her fame, too. Um, and it's it's the turn of the screw. It's Leia yeah. Innocent. It's a classic horror movie. It, yeah, it, it is, you know... American Gothic, giant yeah, house, absolutely. people stuck inside. It's also great. It, it, well, and that's the thing. Like, I, I kind of feel like a lot of people just kind of glossed past it, or they saw it and they didn't. They just kind of left it, um, and that it's just kind of, you know, drifted into the background. Whereas it's a film that, if I happen to be same thing, like if I'm looking around and I happen to come across, it, I'm like, I'm gonna watch that. I'm gonna do that, and that is one that I want to sit and be immersed in. Yeah, yeah. because that one. Like both the other two films we've been talking about, like Personal Shopper and Audition, mm. is a film where sound is huge. Mm. You know, also drama is huge. Like there, there's not a lot of horror in the others. No, like no, they're they're, they're surgical strikes of horror, yeah. and then a wraparound like ba -ba -ba yeah <laughs> kind of thing, which is uh, it, it's kind well of funny because I, I I don't know why, but and I'm probably projecting. I actually thought it was a movie that you wouldn't like. No, I'm a big fan of that. I'm a big fan of the director too. Uh, I I, I feel the movie he made a couple films after that agora which yeah. was on the uh the mathematician from mm -hmm. antiquity and it's also on how religion and and science uneasily oscar isaac is uh, in that movie, isn't he? oscar isaac yeah. is in that movie it's Rachel it, it is 
it is so criminally underrated. It is it is shocking. Yeah. Uh, it's also, I think, Spain's largest grossing film of all time. He but was, here it like made nothing. Yeah. And it was slammed. Like, I get it. If a critic is writing about a movie, they could say, you know, these are the things I didn't like. Yeah. But they were writing it off like it was Adam Sandler's Jack and Jill. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, it was it was dismissed hard dismissed That's really and his recent picture which i've not seen which is a much which more one? traditional horror film i don't recall the title but i've heard that one is bad oh <laughs> but okay. but but i don't trust that because they said they've said this before agora I, blew my mind i mean I was i'm a fan say, of like, the other. with this guy between agora and the others he was the guy who did the original uh he did Abre yes. Ojos, yep the one that got translated into vanilla yep. sky um, and and he also like he's an Oscar. And that, he did he did the Sea Inside, yep. which is genius movie. And he and if you really want to get down and dirty, he did that little tiny uh, snuff movie thriller, uh, Tasis. Oh, I like didn't know that. First book. I didn't know that from the nineties. Um, but you know, the others is more of a classic approach to horror. You know, same sort of thing as like well, it, it it feels like the movie that Personal Shopper was borrowing from during the moments when it put her in that house. You know, and yeah. that, and that it, it kind of just wanted to introduce you to that to give you something familiar and remind you of the frightening nature of a big house. Like yeah. I don't feel like well, we the get, haunted house is a classic thing. It is. It but is. It's, it's kind of crazy because I don't feel like we get that enough in North America. Just because I don't feel like we get those kinds of houses. Yeah. Well, you know, actually, um, there is a there is a lovely um, blog. Uh, on architecture okay. uh, called McMansion Hell. <laughs> and I, I don't know if the author, if she wrote this piece or whether she was just referenced in this piece of saying that haunted houses in times, whether it's Rebecca uh, or... Um, uh, the Innocence, Turn of the Yeah, Screw. The Innocence, all these movies, uh, Wuthering Heights. Yeah. Um, Jane Eyre. Uh, Jane Eyre, the Gothic romantic yep. haunted house is generally the case of like overdone architecture like architecture that doesn't work <laughs> really? so the house itself okay feels wrong because it's badly designed and it's just it's... very easy to make that literary leap from oh, badly designed oh, okay. to like and it makes me feel uncomfortable yeah. to there's a whack of ghosts in here and they're not leaving like well, that's and, an and interesting like, idea. yeah so what you're saying is like at some point along the history of this structure not, not even so, somewhere in the planning of this structure. Somebody with just unbelievable hubris said, "That room needs to be a lot bigger. That yeah, room needs to absolutely." Be and in absolutely. order to do that, like you know, every fireplace had to be bigger. Yes, would let wind blow through. Yes, and pipes and oh man. And, yes, and that's like like we never think that a lot of times that the, what's haunting is just the ego of who put this thing here in the first place. You know, not their spirit, but just yeah. The, if the, if the, you the presence if you of their idiocy, at, um, Bram Stoker's. Dracula. Yeah. And uh, so I was in Romania uh, a couple of last year. That was going to be red in my stack. And uh, the, uh, the castle that Bram Stoker happened to be walking by and going, whoa, like yeah. Vlad Dracul, the, the impaler, never lived here. Okay. But it's clearly the inspiration oh. and the country has okay. embraced it as a I could probably like shoot a, the shit. I think, oh, it's, it's unbelievable. Okay. But it is a wonky huh. piece of castle. Like yeah. it's a weird wrapping like things don't make sense yeah. architecturally like we and, and maybe that was a defensive measure like a lot of towns yeah, are yeah, weird yeah. because you always had people invading them yeah. so you wanted to confuse them but it, it i get it 
why and and I'm I'm like I'm in there with a whack of like annoying tourists. Yeah. Um, you know that, that if you want to undermine a haunted house, that's the way to do it. <laughs> Go in there um, with a camera. But, but anyway, uh, yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's part yeah, of it. It's and <laughs> that being said, the big French country house um, in the heart of personal shoppers is quite nice. It is, but, I mean, but but still, it, it kind of feels like it is huge. It's, it's huge. huge. It's, it's like you're saying, yeah. somebody who yeah. designed it badly. Yeah, um, yeah the, you know, same thing with the others. You've got this idea of spiritualism and like you know, kind of the levels of the afterlife. You know, like there's a whole lot of talk in there, like oh, is, we're going to children's limbo, or we don't know if there is a limbo, and that kind of thing. You you get that kind of tapped upon in personal shopper as well. So there's that nice little marry up, and it's it's strange because I. I feel like for how bright and shiny a star that Nicole Kidman is because like she like she is she should be a statue really right, right? for like how tall that woman is how like flawless yeah. she looks everything she does this kind of thing where she's not hag haggard is the wrong word where she's very very frazzled yeah she does it really really well yeah you know and and, and I think she does it really well in this movie because she's trying to stay poised and control when she meets the help and, and for mm -hmm. the kids like trying to basically still be something between a mother and a governess but at the same time every time shit starts getting real you can see that you can see like the the seams starting to give well and that's the filmmaker too right like he wants to one thing i love about filmmakers that 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 incorporate twists for lack of a better phrase into yeah. their filmmaking is the good ones are really rubbing your rubbing it in your face yeah. all the time and yeah. somehow they're so good at it that you generally don't see it the first yeah. time yeah, yeah, but yeah, it yeah. makes that second viewing really a good. totally different film yeah. I, yeah I will and that's the thing is like now knowing that there's that turn it's not even really a twist but knowing that there's that turn turn's, in personal turns shopper, a good phrase just knowing to, that there's that turn in personal shopper yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna look at it totally differently when it yeah. comes out and I, I've only seen it the once and so you're looking I, forward I'm to definitely uh, looking forward oh, to it I, I just didn't mark up my calendar very well to be able to join you in the screening that you had. I had a spare week. ticket too. I should. I yeah, yeah, should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez. Um, well, there we go. That's three movies that uh, can, you know, you can put them on in the background, or you can turn the lights out and, and engage with them really, really well. Uh, I think you know where we fall and what you should do. And that's episode one seventy three of the Matinee Cast. Come on back on Monday, March twenty seventh, for episode one seventy four. I think. I think we're going to be talking about Train Spotting too. I think. Uh, it's either a really good idea or a really bad idea. I, that, that's exactly where I stand on that. That, it, I, that it's either good. I love Danny Boyle Pan. and I love all the actors, but I, I, I just, I don't know. It, it's always a dicey concept to come back. Is he? Is is it going to be about something? There's that. I, I, I would rather they got the band back together and played another song. You know, I, that's that's the thing I've always been with. I don't sequels. think that's the case here. No, no, it's not. It's not. No, no. Have you seen what? it? No, not yet. Because no. there was a screening. I didn't get tickets. Ago. I didn't get tickets, but I'm always when I see a, a sequel like that, I'm always bring everybody together, bring the writer, bring all the actors, but tell a totally different story. Yeah, you know, it's still gonna have that same feeling, and it'll probably be a spiritual sequel. But the second you hang that number on it, you're already you're already doomed. I rage against pandering, and, and you think I'm a huge fan, huge fan of Train Spotting. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually quite curious how well or not well that pandering which is what it feels like but you always cut a trailer 
to yeah. be pandering. Yeah. Like that's the nature of getting butts in seats. Yeah. But I'm, I'm curious. Meanwhile, like, meanwhile, I'm deep in the tank for Blade Runner 2. So deep, it's a, deep as well. Very deep. Absolutely. Um, Kurt, of course, can be found on row three. Uh, on deep, no, what's the other side? Screen Anarchy. Screen Anarchy. Uh, Screenanarchy.com. Um, and speaking of Danny Boyle, I have a, a fairly lengthy piece. In celebration of Train Spotting 2, of course, I write 1,500 words on Sunshine, um, <laughs> which I feel is the most underrated and unheralded Danny Boyle film. Even more than a life story. Act 1 and Act 2, it's yep. perfect. You yep. know, it's, yep. it's really, uh, that's, yeah, that's yeah. definitely the thing yeah, exactly. when you're talking about that. Um, what do you got coming up this week that people can look forward to besides your next uh, Sunday cast? Anything in the works? No, I wouldn't say. Is the Danny Boyle thing up, or is that coming? Yeah, the Danny Boyle thing is currently up. It went up uh, last week. Uh, I'm pretty happy with the fact. Like, it, it does the job of what um, Anton Ego says a critic should do. Okay. Is point you to the value of something that people may or may not see or are quick to write okay. off that third okay. act, as opposed to just taking the easy whack-a-mole you know on on certain things so i i i do find it hard to get into that space yeah but it is the best space when you're in it. i'm i'm from believer people want to find you on twitter where can they find you they can find me at triplick but it's mostly just my instagram oh which which they are follow this man on instagram I love him. Uh, i'll include a link in the show notes uh, my site of course is matinee.ca for audio content you can find back episodes by going matinee.ca slash podcasting you can also find them on pocketcast apple's podcast app stitcher radio blueberry everywhere the fine podcasts are found uh they all give you ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop feedback on personal shopper takashi Mike audition uh i i okay i have a reputation for mispronouncing people's names and i watch a lot of porn <laughs> but i always think of them as a menabar but i could be wrong <laughs> or the I'm others not gonna be defining uh, email me ryan at matinee.ca twitter where i'm matinee underscore ca facebook.com slash uh no i i, I want to go back now i didn't realize your previous guest had brought up audition that's kind of funny that that's on people's brains yeah um and it shows the versatility of that film yeah that you could pair it with those but uh just wanted my final thought is huge fan of Cure for Wellness. You are one of my favorite. Are, one of my favorite films. You are this year. you are nuts. <laughs> like I said, the the question you had off the top about yes. movies that people don't like that I love. Yes. That's an easy question. For <laughs> and me I to believe answer. you. For Kurt and Brian, we'll see you at the matinee. Cheers. Okay.